Salford and welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton and I'm here talking all things sporting. Salford joining the show this week as ever. We've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sporting, Salford and beyond. Yeah, certainly I'm Rob. Certainly there's been plenty going on, hasn't there? And uh, plenty for us to uh, to dissect in the next hour. Yeah, lots to go at. We'll start with the football and England. They were away in Malta this weekend in European Championship qualifying action. 1-4-0. Uh, Harry Kane, uh, Wilson and Alexander Arnold with the goals for England for Gareth Southgate's men. Yeah, I didn't see the game on Friday night, wasn't it? I was watching yeah. a bit of boxing on Sky, so I, I didn't miss the I, I missed the football. But no, it, it sounded like a routine win for me, really, and probably one that you'd expect against, no disrespect to, to Malta, but it should be a regulation performance, really, for England, because they are real minnows, aren't they, compared to England? But yeah, a good result, a good result for, for Gareth Southgate's team. And, and, uh, and yeah, you, you can't beat it with it. You've just got to back that up now with, with another one, because these, uh, these qualifying games are going to come thick and fast, aren't they? Yeah, they are, Paul. And obviously, Gareth Southgate, you know, the success of, of previous tournaments and the team is building there. You know, we, we look at these contests against the likes of Malta and, like you said, the minnows of, of European football, um, you know, elementary win. Really, gone are the days where we're having to struggle past these teams. We've got enough quality in this squad and in this team uh, to dispatch uh, teams like which, which what we did. And obviously, Gareth Southgate was pleased with the performance and the professionalism shown by his players. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be looking for more uh, against North Macedonia uh, this weekend. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that'll be a tougher game, won't it? I mean, some of these these teams are probably like sort of Macedonia that they've they've not been formed for that long have they they've, they've sort of split from other parts of, of Europe haven't they my geography is not the best but I think that's like sort of like the Yugoslavia end isn't it sort of that eastern side of Europe and don't really know a lot about them do we I suppose and if you go through their side they've probably got some useful players haven't they that play in Europe you know play in the various European leagues so you can't take them too lightly can you don't, these teams they're going to be tough to beat so uh, so yeah that's probably a step up from, from, from the Malta game won't it but um, probably expect it to be a tough one Mm. And obviously, you know, we are top of the group, uh, Paul, after the performances so far. And obviously, we, we've got to be looking at qualification, um, you know, after the successes of uh, the last few years at international level. I'm sure that's the minimum what Gareth Southgate will be looking at. Yeah, it'd be disastrous if they don't qualify, will it? Um, it, it? It certainly will be. So you would expect them to. I mean, the, the, the sides that they're facing at the moment, the, the two sides there. Uh, should be should be regulation wins, I would say. But you know, it's it's a it's a game at the end of the day. It's they've got these teams going to make it tough. You know, playing against England with a, a star studded side like that. I mean, you know, if you're a Malta player or a North Macedonian player, it's probably the biggest game you've ever played in. So you're going to raise your game and, and and target that as a real cup final. England have to 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 put up with that every time they play, aren't they? So uh, got to be professional and uh, and keep switched on. And it's been a long hard season as well. You know, if you been a player in the domestic league over here you've, you've probably already played maybe 50 60 games this season so uh, you know it's, it's tough to keep going but you know that's what they've got to do if they want to qualify mm. and obviously you know we, as a big nation in the European scene it's important we qualify with all the uh, you know no pressure no uh, slip ups along the way because obviously we need to make an impression going forward into the competition yeah, that's right. Of course, I mean every time there's a competition, you know England are always expected to, to do well, aren't they? And 
maybe not necessarily win the competition. We're never usually favourites, are we? But we're normally expected to, to get beyond group stages and you know, certainly qualify anyway and then uh, and, and see where they go from there. Anything other than that, it's a failure really, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I'm sure Gareth Southgate will feel that pressure, but I'm sure he's he's big enough to, to deal with that and done done a fairly decent job so far, hasn't he? You know, if you, the, the World Cup's anything to go by. So I think they'll be excited. I think you've just got to get that job done first of qualifying, then you can plan towards the tournament. Hmm. Uh, moving on to the other home nations, uh, Wales were in action against Armenia and lost 4-2. Embarrassing defeat uh, for the Welsh, obviously with no Gareth Bale recently retired, um, shows there's much to do uh, for that team. Yeah, well, the last few few years or so, they, they've done well, haven't they? You know, qualifying for major tournaments and, and doing very well in them as well. So, uh, so yeah, they, they were in England's group, wasn't it, a few years ago and, you know, did, did really well. So, it's probably a bit of a, a bit of a shock result, that really. But like I said, some of these European teams are, are difficult to judge sometimes, aren't they? You know, you're difficult to, to, to know what you're going to expect. So, that's probably a bit of a shock result, but uh, but yeah, I didn't see that one coming. So that's a disappointing result for Wales, no doubt about that. They've got some some good players in their their side, aren't they? Haven't they? So uh, so yeah, I don't think they've been expecting that. Yeah, and Keith Moore was sent off for Wales. Obviously, you know, down to a, uh, to ten men in such an important European qualifying would have been a bit of a blow. Um, it's all about keeping your strongest team on the field in, in important games like this. Yeah, of course it is. You lose a player, and you know it can sometimes galvanise you, but it can also um, you know affect your game plan as well. You've got to your backs against the wall, then, aren't you? And uh, that's probably a contributing factor to the result as well. So you've got to keep your discipline. You've got to keep your your uh, your shape, haven't you? And something like that's really going to uh, going to throw everything up in the air. And it sounds like it did do in that game. Yeah. Uh, Wales are in third place behind uh, Croatia and Turkey. Obviously, looking to qualify, but um, obviously being in third place is a, a bit of a mountain to climb because both Croatia and Turkey are two good teams. You were just going to say that, Rob. Yeah, you've got Croatia there, who, who are always a very good side, aren't they? The tournaments have done very well over recent years, particularly over the last sort of 20, 10, 20 years. They've, they've, they've got quite far in tournaments, haven't they? So, uh, always a difficult side to beat. Turkey on another side, always a difficult side to beat, especially away from home as well. So, uh, so that's going to be a really tough group, and you know they need to be switched on now. And you know, losing that game to to Armenia, uh, that, that's that's a, a real body blow, really, because you can't really afford to drop points against the against the lesser sides in the group. Mm. Where does that leave Coach Rob Page? Obviously, after the success of getting to the Euros and uh, to the World Cup, sorry, and, and obviously now suffering this defeat, it's a bit of a, a comeback, coming back down to earth uh, experience for him and the Welsh. Yeah, it certainly is. I don't know, really. You'd hope that perhaps the, the, the people in charge would keep faith in after the good work that he's done. You know, sometimes it's not always the answer just to, to, to sack the manager, is it? But, you know, it's a results-based business, whether it be domestic or, or, or international level football. So, you know, they'll be expected to do well. So, there's a pressure on him there. Now, I'm not so sure who they're playing next, you'll be able to tell me. But uh, there's pressure on that next game, isn't there? Mm, always pressure when it comes to international football. Uh, Paul, let's talk about Scotland. They were against uh, Norway away and won 2 1. A good result uh, for the Scots. Obviously, Norway with Ireland. Harlan, City Man City's goal scoring machine, who got on the score sheet. Uh, but two late goals from Scotland from uh, Lyndon Dix and Kenny McLean uh, took the points to Scotland. 
yeah, surprise. I thought it was a surprising score that, to be honest. I expected Norway to, to get that result. You know, Scotland have probably been known over the over the years for struggling to score goals. I think they've always found that as a problem, haven't they, over the last couple of decades. And, uh, you know, to get two goals away from and get that result, that's a big boost for them as well. And, you know, they'll be desperate to qualify for a tournament. It's been a, been a while since we've seen Scotland. We've not seen them in many over recent years. So I think their, their nation will be, will be craving that, that, that sort of success and that qualification, particularly when you've seen, you know, the Irish teams do, do pretty well in qualifying, you know, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. You've also had Wales getting through as well so I think Scotland have felt a bit left out haven't they so uh, I think they'll be desperate to get through this time Yeah, uh, Republic of Ireland uh, faced Greece and lost 2-1 uh, had a man sent off Doherty uh, and obviously Republic of Ireland the Jack Charlton years used to qualify for, for, for World Cups and uh, will be struggling this time around Yeah, yeah that's right it's um it, 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 that seems a long time ago. That now doesn't it? The, the Jack Charlton years. The guy they played some good football then, didn't they? As well, mm. had some some amazing results. You know, for it's such a small nation. So, uh, so yeah, they, they've they've come across hard times over the last few years and gone through a few managers as well and probably probably struggling really. And I don't know. Are they are they producing as many players as, as what they used to do? I'm not too sure really what the answer is. There. I mean, if you go back over the years and probably looked at Manchester United, Arsenal, some of the top teams in England, they always had plenty of homegrown players from sort of like Ireland and Wales and Scotland, didn't they? So that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, does it? No, it's a bit of a disappointment as well as Northern Ireland. They faced Denmark and uh, lost 1-0. Had a uh, goal ruled out in the last minute through VAR from uh, West Ham um, attacker Callum Marshall. Uh, the coach um, thought it was a, was a bit of a joke, he said. Uh, Michael O'Neill uh, about the decision I suppose VR is always controversial when it comes to making decisions especially ones that rob you of a point yeah that's right I mean everyone has an opinion with, with VR I don't think it's an exact science is it I mean it's like the the video replay in rugby league I mean you can only you've only got so much to look at haven't you it doesn't cover every single angle does it in uh you know, they've got to make a decision, haven't they? So I think there'll always be people who'll be upset by the decision and there'll always be people who'll be elated by the decision. So, especially if it's late late in the game and it's controversial like that, there's always going to be a, a downside to it. Yeah. Uh, looking at the, the European Nations uh, Cup, uh, Italy uh, beat Holland, Netherlands 3-2. Um, obviously, they didn't qualify for the last uh, tournament, so they're looking uh, in good form uh, going into this one. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. And, um, you know, it'd be good to see, you know, qualifying again. So I think there'll be a few shocks along the way in this. And, um, yeah, I'd like to see them qualify. Yeah. And in the final, as we speak, it's nil-nil Croatia and Spain. Both teams looking to uh, to add the Nations League uh, to a, a roster of their uh, wins in the international level. Yeah, certainly, certainly. It's uh, no, it's an exciting time, isn't it? You know, when the domestic season finishes and we get the international football, and uh, there's plenty of it going. And no, no tournament this time, like as we as we say. But uh, but no, it's going to be a summer packed, uh, packed full of international qualification games, and they're important ones, a lot of them as well, aren't they? Mm, yeah, I can say international football should be the pinnacle of, of anybody's uh, sporting career. But obviously, with the Premier League such a big thing in this country, um, you know, it's hard sometimes <laughs> for players to distinguish, you know, playing at Champions League level and playing international level because some people say playing at a Champions League is, is a higher level. 
Yeah, I think that that can be the case in a lot of sports now. If you're looking, you know, our sport of rugby league, that you know, is in the international game in rugby league is probably not as strong as what it once was. Well, I know it's not, and the sort of clubs dictate now, you know, the way things go, and there seems more money and that. And I think football's the the same. You look at the the high profile of European football, particularly the Champions League. The money that's involved in that now is absolutely huge, isn't it? You know, the advertising and you know the, the way it's put on that sort of pedestal it really is massive it's massive business isn't it and you know players want to be involved in big games like that and perhaps sometimes the, the international game just gets put on the on the shelf with us when it shouldn't do but I think that's just a modern modern sport really now isn't it that's the way uh, it seems to go yeah I think like you say it's become more commercialised, and it. And when in the uh, the glory, or say the glory days of sort of the eighties, and that international football was the pinnacle, because obviously England through had a bit of a barren spell, didn't they? In, in the kind of the eighties and the nineties, without going into Europe. And this one, you know, when when you go into these European competitions, um, it, a lot of players, you know, want to compete against the very best but now the Champions League has become such a massive uh, money spinning exercise you've got the best teams in Europe facing each other and you can't really see past it when it comes when you want to be a sort of a top top player you have to be competing at that level um, and that's and that's why a lot of people I think think that playing at a Champions League is is better than playing in the uh, National League Yeah I think if you go back to like the 70s and 80s there wasn't as much football on the television for the kickoff. I mean, the World Cup was probably the, the tournament where everything was on, everything was televised. Everybody, every man and his dog could watch it and, and, and see it. Whereas European football, yeah, you probably probably had the final on of the of the European Cup as it was then. But the, the rest of the group games and things like that, I think I don't think it was groups. I think it was knockout, wasn't it? Two legged knockout. So you probably didn't have all those games on the television. So it was a bit like the FA Cup final that was always on the television. Now it's everything else. It, it just seems massive now. The sport doesn't, it? and there's that much of it everywhere that that these these tournaments that were once really prestigious, they probably diluted a bit now because there's so much elsewhere and so much more commercial and, and so much more money in the in, in the organised. So, so so times have changed, and sometimes I think probably not for the better. Really, I mean, international football. You watch World Cup as a as a kid. It was always always great to watch, wasn't it? You know, filling in your wall chart and your sticker collection and things like that. It was a, a special time. But I think that I don't know. I think that might have been diluted a bit now by uh, by bigger things. Yeah, uh, talking about the domestic scene because obviously it's off season at the moment. Teams are wheeling and dealing the transfer market, dealing with rumours and and plans. And we'll start, we'll start with Man United and uh, Mason Mount. Uh, there's a possible transfer there coming from Chelsea, forty million pound. Uh, Chelsea want for Mason Mount. Um, it's he isn't the finished article for me. How he fits in this Man United team, um, we'll have to wait and see. But Ten Hag uh, has you know high um, you know hopes for for Mount to come in and make a difference. Yeah, well, Ten Hag, you know, got to trust his judgment. Sometimes he's obviously seen something there, some potential in the in Mount, and you know, like you said, it's not the finished article. But sometimes managers will bring players in, and they'll hope that their their sort of influence and their coaching skills will rub off on on that player, and they they'll help mould him into into a better player. So perhaps that's his thinking behind that, because obviously talent there, and if he can nurture that talent and bring the best out of him at Manchester United, then uh, then that's the, that's that's a real winning situation for the club. Mm. De- uh, Declan Rice um, is 
has has a, has a, had a bid from Arsenal. Uh, West Ham has rejected the offer of ninety million pounds. For me, Declan Rice is the top midfielder in England, um, and Mason Mount isn't quite at that level. Uh, and I suppose the value shows that. But Ten Hag wants people to develop in this system, and if he is. If he does manage to get to Manchester United and Ten Hag does get his hands on him, he could create a player of a similar ilk to Declan Rice. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's what the goal will be. I think, as I said, that's what Ten Hag, I think that's his, one of his philosophies, isn't it? To develop young players. And, you know, that's what Manchester United teams of old have done, haven't they? They've brought people in. They don't forget they've had a, a great sort of conveyor belt of talent at their own club as well, you know, with the, with the academy and what have you. But they always used to bring younger players in as well and then develop them and you see them you know developing that team wouldn't you there's been a lot of those throughout the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s so you know where they've signed young players and took chances on them and you know there's been some some great players then that have come from that and some real star names that have gone on to do great things with the club and in, uh, international level as well yeah um talking about squads and and, and shuffling about man united uh recently announced their retained list. Uh, there was mention of David De Gea still in contract negotiations with the club. Um, so he's obviously leaving it to the very last moment before the club or him decide what to do. Uh, big player for Manchester United, won the Golden Glove um, this year in the Premier League. And it's a big decision for Ten Hag to make whether to stick with the Spanish goalkeeper or bring someone else in. Yeah, well, I think you you was enlightening me on this a few weeks ago, and you were saying that you know Ten Hag and a lot of managers now, you know, want the goalkeeper to be able to play as well, play out front of back and be a good distributor of the ball. Whereas, you know, years ago, a goalkeeper was a shot stopper, and, and that's what his job was to do, wasn't it? You know, stop the ball going in the net. And I don't think there's any question of, of David De Gea's ability to be able to do that. He's a fantastic shot stopper, a fantastic goalkeeper, but. Is his distribution skills, you know, as good as what they as what they could be, and is the better people out there, better all round goalkeepers out there? Ten Hag, maybe he's thinking that way, but you know, in my opinion, my sort of small football opinion, really, I've always been impressed with De Gea when I've seen him, and you know, he's not won that Golden Glove for nothing. He's won that because he's, you know, performed really, really well. So uh, I think United supporters would be disappointed if he was to leave. He's been there a number of years now, and I think he's been an excellent goalkeeper. Yeah, the amount of points David De Gea has saved Manchester United without him in between the Poles and Man United. Man United are a struggling mid-table side. So uh, Eric Ten Hag needs to make sure whoever he brings in, because obviously we, we, we're still awaiting that decision. Uh, if he does manage to bring someone in and De Gea departs, it needs to be of a similar quality. And there isn't that many good goalkeepers around. Um, I know Jordan Pickford for Everton is being mentioned, England goalkeeper, which would put him in the international level. Uh, but for Everton, he's, he's a bit, he, he blows up and cold. Sometimes he can be brilliant. Sometimes he's prone to the odd error. So, but is his distribution better than De Gea? Is that what Eric Hag is looking at? Is he looking at Pickford? I think, yeah, he's not, as brilliant as with, with with his hands as David De Gea, but he's much better with his feet, which basically allows us to to build the tax better. Yeah, it's a strange one that because at the end of the day, I mean, a goalkeeper's job is to keep the ball out of the net, isn't it? And I think you know, I'd rather have somebody like De Gea who can do that. I mean, it's also because I suppose it depends what what Ten Hag wants to build and what what philosophies and. 
what sort of shape he wants to play. So I don't know, as you said there, that Pickford, good goalkeeper, England international, but is he prone to, to more mistakes? And yet you're, you're dead right if you take the hair out of that and put you know, sort of an average goalkeeper. Now, how would United have gone on in last season in the league? Where would they have finished? You know, he saved them so many points this season. They've been sort of halfway down the league, wouldn't they? So, uh, so you, you've got to be careful, you know, who you're replacing with. You don't want somebody to come in who's, you know, that sort of guy who's prone to, to clangers because you get somebody like that, the defender isn't going to trust him. You, you know, your supporters ain't going to trust him and that can be a recipe for disaster. I can think of one or two goalkeepers, you're a bit of name them as well, who Manchester United have had and they didn't last long because they were them sort of players. I think Taibi was one yeah. of them, one who came in and he was absolutely hopeless. And, and your goalkeeper, it's important because the team relies on him, don't they? And, you know, if he's making mistakes and, 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 and you've got no confidence in him, then that's a recipe for a disaster. Yeah, Matt Bosnich, Jim Layton. There's there's been goalies through the years that haven't quite um, matched the likes of Peter Smeichel. Um De Gea is in the same bracket as as Peter Smeichel. But I, like you said, I think football has moved on. It's not just about how good of a goalkeeper you are. You've got to be able to play a bit. And even when you look back to the likes of Smeichel, wasn't great with his feet. But I suppose football didn't wasn't built around the way teams play out from the back like it was when Peter Smeichel was in his uh, in his pump so he probably didn't need to be as good with his feet No he was a, he was a great character though wasn't he Schmeichel mm. and just a, a great presence between the sticks you know the size of the man and you know you had somebody going through one on one on Schmeichel nine times out of ten he'd, he'd well probably more than that he'd, he'd stop you wouldn't he just his uh, I mean, can you imagine him running at you when you, you're going through on goal? I mean, it was a scary sight. Just going back to Jim Layton, you mentioned there. I mean, he was a fabulous goalkeeper for Aberdeen, wasn't he? And yeah. Scotland as well. What a what a great keeper. But United probably, I don't know. He just, I don't think he had his best years at Manchester United. Did no. he? Um, I think he did. He get dropped for the cup final or yeah. something like that. It was something I remember something vaguely from was it 1990 against Palace. Yeah. Um, I, my football knowledge isn't that good but I can remember certain things but I can remember him playing in the World Cup I think the 98 World Cup for Scotland I think he had a belting game mm-hmm. in that. I'm sure it was against Brazil but um, yeah he had been a good keeper but doesn't always work out at, at certain places but Peter Schmeichel you go a long way to get a better keeper than him yeah uh, let's talk about Lionel Messi rumour has it he is off to Inter Miami uh, in the USA League 35 now leaving PSG Um It'll be good for America to have such a profile player in that league. Um, there is an offer from uh, Saudi Arabia, but there's talk of him moving to America to help month sport. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know what a player he's been as well. And um, it would have been great to see him come over and play in the Premier League, wouldn't it? But that's obviously never happened. But yeah, it'd be great for him to go over there. I mean, he fills stadiums on his own, wouldn't he? You know, you know what, what a fantastic player, fantastic ambassador for the sport, and uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll do a great job over there. And you say he's 35, but I, th- I still think he's just, he's as fit as they come, isn't he? You won't find anybody fitter than him, and still got plenty of pace, and he'll still score a sack full of goals. I, w- I would have thought as well. Yeah, obviously the Premier League fixtures now are out. Uh, Paul, obviously Man United and Man City both looking forward to the Premier League after successful uh, seasons this season. Yeah, certainly, certainly. It doesn't seem that long since the season's finished, to be honest. It was quite late finishing this time, wasn't it? So, uh, with one thing and another. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure the, the supporters will be waiting 
you, you always say that the supporters are kicking their heels out and they're wandering around the parks waiting for the fixtures to go out. And uh, now they're out, they'll be plotting their uh, their routes, won't they? And uh, I'm going to see who they've got around, especially that you always look who you've got at Christmas, don't you? And, you know, the the festive fixtures, the Easter fixtures, and who you're running as as well. So um, I'm sure it's going to be really exciting. You've got some some exciting teams that have been promoted. You know, Burnley have come back up, haven't they? They're always a good team to watch at Turf Moor. So, so yeah, I think it's going to be another exciting season. Let's hope that we get some, you know, real contenders and it's not just a one-horse race at the top. Yeah. Man United's first four fixtures are Wolves at home, Spurs away, Forest at home, Brighton away. Tough start that against teams who at that stage of the season will be fighting tooth and nail to, to get into that you know, Champions League, Europa League qualification spot. Yeah, certainly. I don't think there'll be any mug games next season. I don't think there'll be any easy games. It never is. You, you get your, your newly promoted sides. You normally come up with a, with a wet sail, don't you? And, you know, try and get early points and full of enthusiasm as well. So, so yeah, and, and there'll be teams investing. You look at Newcastle, they'll be, be spending money again after an excellent season this time round. So, I'm sure they'll be, they'll go on better next year. And you've got to be looking at, I mean, Spurs, how are they going to go? They've got a new manager, haven't they? And are they going to be a team to challenge Arsenal as well, who, who sort of chucked it away? Not chucked it away, but... I suppose they did in a way, didn't they? They were in the box seat, weren't they? And ended up finishing quite far behind Manchester City. So there'll be a lot of um, teams wanting to flex their muscles and go for it. So uh, Manchester United, though, will be expected to do well, I would have thought, depending on the recruitment. You know, Improvement last season under Ten Hag, and I think they'll want to, to improve again and show signs of improvement again. Yeah, I think the Premier League, the top sort of six or seven, you know, can easily mount a title charge or a Champions League run. Uh, and that's the beauty of being the Premier League. You know, they've, we've got we're a European uh, super nation when it comes to football and we've got teams there who are, you know, the best around. And that's why people tune in all over the world to, to watch our brand of football. Yeah, certainly. And I think you had last season, you had some, um, some shocks as well, didn't you, teams that, Probably would have thought, yeah, we're not going to expect much from them, but likes of Fulham, I thought really played really well. You know, Brighton, Hove Albion, Brentford, these sides that are probably not awash with money at all. You know, not massively supported. You know, probably low, the lower budgets in the in the, the league, but yet they really punched above their weight, didn't they? So, um, so yeah, they've added to the competition as well, haven't they? And you know, West Ham, I thought had a, had a great season, didn't they? You know, they finished quite high up the table, won in Europe as well. So, uh, so yeah, it, it'll be a very very interesting season. I think Aston Villa is another one I should mention because I don't think anybody expected them to finish as high as what they did. Mm, it's going to be very. Ex- Exciting. So that's all the football chat. And now we're going to move on to the UFC. And James uh, was in France and he had gone to the Hexagon MMA 9 uh, last night, which was Saturday night. And Liverpool's Tim Barnett competed on the card. And while he didn't get the win, he was over the moon with his ability to overcome his fears and get into the cage. And he also spoke to Anthony Dizzy as well. And uh, here's the interviews now. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Barnett here at Hexagon MMA 9 in France. And the result didn't go your way tonight, but you produced a good performance and you seem as happy as anything. Yeah, it was just good to be back in there and testing myself again and and enjoying it more than anything. Um, I was probably more dangerous back in the day as a result of like the level of suffering that I was going through. But as I've grown older... And realised what's truly important in life. I, like, who really wins, right? The guy who goes through his whole fight career suffering and hates every minute of it. Or the guy who enjoys his time. Who wins? 
Well, by the looks of it, you win because you're extremely happy with how everything's gone. You spoke in depth about dealing with fear, facing fear, and how proud are you of being able to go out under lights and perform in front of all those people? It's a scary thing to do, and I think anyone who tells you it isn't is a liar. Um, so this week, and leading up to it, thoughts of like when we were driving the airport, little thoughts of like, Oh, if we had a little car crash now, I wouldn't have to do this. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just the voice of like the the demon that wants to hold you back. And that's what I did. I gracefully walked towards the thing that scared me. And and fear, there wasn't enough fear. You know what I mean? I was t I was almost too settled. Like I was going to have a fight with someone. And I was like chilling, like I was on a bus ride or something. And I think fear keeps you sharp, so it does have a place. But it shouldn't be a ruling factor in any of our lives. So how do you find the perfect balance? That's the difficult bit. I think like I think I knew his most threatening elements were to like grab hold of me and put me on the floor, which isn't exactly like a petrifying thing when you're fighting someone who's got like that sharpness who can boom bang you out. It brings you to life a little bit more, you know what I mean? Something you spoke to me about in the build-up to this fight was your relationship with God. So I want to ask you how that affects your performances in the cage and how it affects you going forward and, you know, using this as a lesson rather than a negative. Um, it draws, yeah, that's it draws me closer. That's what I use this for. It's um, what I try and use all things for. And I receive willingly the outcome because that was what was meant for my evolution. I'll go back to the gym and be better. Um, I'm just not going to let it dampen my spirit. It doesn't define me at all. Whereas it used to. I thought I was a fighter instead of fighting being something that I just did with my time. And so now I can enjoy this. Like, I've got to come to another country, sample different food, come with people that I enjoy and chill. Like, we've all been so stressed for years. What about, like, relaxing? Absolutely. Now you're done with the fight, just... Just backstage then, you were having some nuts, you are enjoying yourself. So how do, you, how do you plan on taking this going forward? You're going to celebrate now, you're going to go out and enjoy yourself? Yeah, I am. I'm going to eat. I love food a lot. Um, what good quality food, you know what I mean? The highest, best organic stuff. So yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and seeing my kids and my, my partner and my mum and dad. And, and again, the people who are there for you when the chips are down, the ones that are always going to be there, they're, they're the ones that matter the most, so yeah, I'm, I'm good. You mentioned your partner there, how much does she help you when you're preparing for these fights and in the aftermath? She balances me, she is the yin to the yang, um, she helps me embody more of the feminine and I help her embody more of the masculine and so being more towards doing something that's, that's masculine, it will help her become more feminine within herself so it's a sacred union we've been together since we were 15 years old and I love it a bit that's amazing so I mean obviously you've got this incredible MMA career now and you're at a position in life where you're enjoying it you're taking it in your stride you were telling me just then you're in no rush to get back into the cage whatever happens happens yeah I'm not I'm just taking it day day by day minute by minute moment by moment and that's the important thing because um, that's all that ever exists that's gone like all these people who are then sharing it on social media again and they want to relive a moment that's died it's dead 
that, that life has moved on and now I'm in this moment with you here not caught up in the mind or caught up in the ego of having to show everybody what I've just done I'm here well, it's a privilege to share this moment with you. But, Tim, it's been an absolute privilege talking to you today. I've really enjoyed it. I just wanted to ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to mention, anything you'd like to talk to me about that you feel is of note before we close this down? I think there's a shift coming in human consciousness. I think we're all going to grow more loving towards one another, more accepting of the differences with one another. And I think by facing our fears on an individual level, and growing on an individual level, we help shift the collective. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Anthony Dizzy. An amazing performance tonight in front of your home people. They screamed for you. They loved you. What did it mean to fight in front of them? It's a great experience for me. It's first time in France uh, and uh, first time in my city in Rennes. Uh, I'm so happy to give... Uh, uh, the fans that they want obviously they love you you produced a fantastic performance how do you evaluate that and what did you think of your opponent uh, I think my opponent is uh, strong uh, because it's difficult for me to take down the fight and uh, I think for the next I go in featherweight division it's I'm, I'm not so strong for lightweight. And there's a man in the featherweight division who wants to fight you, Dean Garnett. What do you think of him, and is he somebody that you would like to set for in the cage with? This name is? Uh, Dean Garnett, he's on the... Yeah. Okay, if you want, it's okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Come on. So you think that is a fight that you win? If I accept this fight, it's uh, because I think I can win. And I win this fight. <laughs> That's fantastic. You've obviously had your first fight now in France. Do you have a taste to do more fights in France? I have a three-fight contract with Hexagon. More two on the contract and one with uh, your guy. His name is? Dean Garner. I'd love to see you fight Dean Garner. If he wins his next fight, he'll have the belt. And then you'll have your opportunity to become a Hexagon MMA champion. I imagine that would be an amazing thing for you to achieve in your career. Uh, with pleasure. I want. If you want, it's okay for me. <laughs> Perfect. I'd like to thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time after such a great performance. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to add or anybody that you would like to thank tonight? Julie? <laughs> No, I don't know. <laughs> so that was all the MMA uh, chat. And now we're going to talk rugby league, Paul and Sulphur Devils. They were in Challenge Cup action uh, this weekend, but were beaten by Hull Kingston Rovers. 28 points to 10 and, and are now out of the Challenge Cup. Talk us through it. Disappointing day, Rob. It, it really was. I mean, he, I don't think you ever go to a Sulphur game expecting to win. Um but I think we, I think we were favourites to win the game. Um, the, the bookies had it very close, didn't they? But I was expecting a very tough game. I think Hawkins and Rovers were going to come out and throw the kitchen sink at Salford, and I think Salford perhaps underestimated that a little bit, and uh, and were shocked, and and shell shocked early doors in the game, and Hawkins uh, got got a foothold on it, got a couple of early tries, 
and uh, and never looked back really. Salford just couldn't get going. They were trying to play that that miracle play, trying to score every time we've got the ball, lack composure, you know, flapped and sort of huffed and puffed a bit, but never really looked like scoring in the first half, never really built any pressure, never didn't respect possession, coughed it up a few too many times and didn't, um, you know, Mark Sneed was a bit in and out, his kicking game was a bit in and out, and when Mark Sneed doesn't have a an on day, and Brody Croft doesn't, Salford don't tend to play so so no 18 points to nil down at half time you know we can see there's a try when Hulkinson Rovers without a 12 men they had a man sim binned and we sort of fell asleep at a quick tap Mikey Lewis, Lewis went through I think Ryan Briley brought him down but they worked the ball well and scored a try right on the break and 18 nil you was you was looking then at a, you know a mountain to climb in that second half we did get an early try that, um, that raised our hopes really and then for a sort of a spell of a 10 or 15 well 10 or 12 minutes I'd say we looked the better side in the second half and 18-4 you know you get another try and uh, you're right back in the game but sadly that didn't happen Sean Kenny Dowell was, was excellent for uh, for Old Kingston Rovers they got another try and before you knew it you was 24-4 down and it was uh, it was game over mm. Obviously, like you said, real non-performance, no intensity, disappointment for the fans who, who travelled up there. Um, obviously, preparation talks about going the night before and all the squad being happy and, and ready to play. And obviously, didn't. And then can you kind of put your finger on why? Yeah, OK, I didn't let them play. Hmm. OK, I didn't let us play whatsoever. I think they wanted that game more. I think their enthusiasm was, was infectious. I mean, Sam Luckley, the former Salford player, had a, had a stormer. You know, offloading the ball and so for to, to me they just lay off all kings and rovers and they were they're offloading the ball at will they were playing the game at their tempo dictating the the, the play and um, Salford flapped they flapped when they got the ball and you know showed some great touches I mean early doors in the game in the first five minutes I think we broke away twice uh, down the left edge and King Bunny went through the middle but we coughed the ball up so if you don't hold on to the possession. Well, possession's key in any game. You know, that ball's precious. You've got to keep hold of it. And, you know, you don't get paid to drop it. And and, and Salford did and made far too many errors, give a lot of penalties away in that, that first half as well. And that's what you get when you go to Old Kingston Rovers. They've got a real partisan crowd behind them who shout for everything. And, you know, referee, probably influenced by that a little bit. And, um, yeah, we were just behind the eight ball all the way, Robin. It was disappointing because it's a one-off game and, and the Challenge Cup only comes round once a year and you can't put it right the week after, can It's not like the league. You've got to wait 12 months now and see who you get. You might get St. Helens away first round next year and get knocked out. So, yeah, it was disappointing because the Cup's a special trophy. And I think looking at the semi-finals as well, you've got um, Lee, Lee who've gone through, Wigan have gone through and St. Helens, so you would have been in an all-Lancashire semi-final there and with those three other teams it'd have been pretty special so to miss out on that it's, it hurts a bit yeah uh, you spoke to assistant coach, coach Kurt Haggerty after the game and see what he had to say Coach's Corner Kurt Haggerty joins me it was a, a difficult day for today for Salford you must be very disappointed in, in the result yeah, we're very disappointed. We didn't see that coming because I'm afraid we've got leading into the game. The start of the game, we were on catch up, and it was just too late. We just too much to do. And ultimately, we didn't start the game well enough, and never recovered from there. Can you put your finger on what went wrong to him? And Hawkins rose quite the blocks really quick, didn't he? And you didn't seem to ever sort of uh, contain them, could you? Well, we know exactly what Hawkins was going to do. It's very similar to Magic. They're going to stay around the middle. 
not really forced too much in the engine to complete a high and we just couldn't physically stand up to that today that's probably the more disappointing aspect for us. You've scored plenty of points in other games this season today it just didn't seem to come off passes didn't stick and I suppose you get games like that don't you where things just don't go right? Well it's the old saying if you defend while your attack's usually good too so the two did come in hand in hand today which is disappointing. I mean, when your preparation was good you stayed overnight the camp was good wasn't it this week? Oh, yeah. There's no excuse of why we didn't perform. It's not all they looked after. The lads have plenty of time off, plenty of recovery. Every box is ticked in that regard. I don't think anybody from the team, the club, will make an excuse of having excuses not to perform. Yeah, how are the lads after the game? Because it's a challenge cup, it's a massive competition. You only get one shot as well. That's the disappointment. I mean, you've been playing so well, and then probably your worst performance this season. You say it for a one-off cup tie, which is must be gutting for the lads. Yeah, so. the, the, the flat, disappointed, frustrated. You know, there'll be a lot of probably a lot of looking in the mirror you know of individual performances across one and collectively it's just to look at where we wasn't quite good enough and what we can fix up because we'll fix it there's no doubt we'll fix it it's just a blip for us and we'll force it in the cup which is really disappointing you've got Wigan next game is that the perfect game to bounce back in it's, it's at Salford they're expecting a big crowd coming to get decent weather is that what you want I mean as a player that's what I want you know against a good Wigan side is that the perfect game to fix it up um, yeah, it doesn't matter who we face next week because we, we back ourselves to win every single game. It's not, you know, whoever we play, Centennial's Wigan, Warrington, Wayfield, we back ourselves to win. So, yeah, they're going to be physical, Wigan, so we've got to be physical. If we match it physically, there's no doubt we, we believe we can win the game. Thanks very much for speaking to us today, Kurt. I know it's tough after everything like that, but thanks very much no for it. Thank Cheers, you. mate. So that was Kurt Haggis talking to you after the game, Paul, and he shared your disappointment and, and obviously hurt about what happened. Yeah, well, Paul Rowley did in the press conference. It was a very, very short press conference, to be honest, because there's not a lot to say after the defeat like that. I think all the players were very, very disappointed, bitterly disappointed. So was Paul and Kurt. And I think really what you want to do after the defeat like that is just just forget about it and... Uh, and get back into training and work for the next game. So I've got Wigan next uh, next weekend, and and that's going to be a massive game as well. They had a, a good win in the Challenge Cup, you know, down to twelve men, Wigan and, and turn Warrington over. So they'll be very very difficult to beat. But it's a perfect opportunity, I think. You're playing against a, a big side, big name, and um, that's a big game for Salford next under. Yeah, we often talked about Rowley Ball and how Salford like to play to the edges and, and play flowing rugby. But sometimes in games like that, the ball doesn't stick and doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how hard you try, it just doesn't. And is that a factor in what happened on uh, Saturday that there was no other way to play? That Salford only have one way to play, but can't sort of uh, find a way to win? Yeah, I think the, the the way we play, you've got to earn that right to play though sometimes and well all the time. And you've got to earn that through through your forwards and you know, making that ground. You you can't particularly play that sort of rugby all over the pitch. You've got to get in positions to, to perform and positions to strike and I thought the pack was soundly beaten really by Ulkair. I thought their forwards dominated the game. We seemed to lack aggression. We looked tired at times. We looked jaded, and the forwards. I mean, we'll talk about the stats, you know, on the on the podcast next week. And I wouldn't like to see the stats for Salford's forwards because we didn't seem to make any inroads at all, really. And no, it was a real difficult day and a disappointing day because it was never really in the game at all, to be honest. Yeah, it was also Ladies Challenge Cup quarter final uh, weekend. Uh, Leeds Rhinos beat Lee Lefford fifty four nil. Wigan Warriors beat. Huddersfield 48-0, Settlers beat Warrington Wolves 38-0 
and York Valley beat Cardiff Demons 34-0. Yeah, other news regarding Sulphur Devils. Um, there has been a sort of a reshuffle at board level with new directors being added to the current list of people involved at the club. Uh, Anna Hardley, Heather Robinson, Ollie Randall, Alex Romer, Ian Turner and Shah Ahmed all added to the board, uh, which will hopefully, obviously with all the experience of all the people, will help uh, run the club better. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I don't know a lot about those people. I did read the read the, the sort of CVs and the statements on the club website, and they sound, you know, experts in the, in in the fields that they're in. And I'm sure they'll be able to bring ideas to the club. And you know, that's what we we need. We need you need people there. You need people to bounce ideas off each other and work together, don't you? And you know, to get things moving. So, uh, so yeah, exciting times. And it does seem like things are finally coming together. So, um, so yeah, good luck to them all. I hope they, they all enjoy the, the work and, uh, and, and and do a good job. Yeah, they're all from different, uh, like say, industries um, regarding finances, regarding retail, regarding human resources, sports, business and, and that is what this club needs to grow we need people who have skill sets which will help the club in certain areas to reach out in the community and help them and the community grow in rugby league yeah that's right you do you need that knowledge don't you in the rugby league and, and sport in general now is it's not just a simple thing anymore, is it? There's an awful lot of things that go into it, you know, the business side of things and, you know, the player side of things and the stadium and the, the community stuff, the raising the funds and, and God knows what else. There's all sorts that goes on. So a lot of it goes over my head, all that sort of stuff. I'm no expert, but these people are. So I think, you know, rather have... Um, we'd rather have those those guys on board with us helping us out and you know from what I've read there's the, the, quite a few of them uh, are Salford supporters as well aren't they that have, have been supporters for a long time so they're going to have the club at heart as well so it uh, sounds very very positive Rob and uh, no, it's good news Yeah uh, Swinton Lions have signed Will Roberts on loan from St Helens promising half back uh, Will add a lot to that Lions team Yeah certainly I know they had another uh, defeat the weekend Swinton they at home as well so uh, Probably do need a bit of fresh blood in there and uh, a bit of a boost. But no, if he's come from St. Helens as well, he'll have a, a, an excellent pedigree. I mean, they've been churning out some fantastic players over the last couple of years or so. Well, you know, for the, for the last decade or two, but particularly the, the youngsters that are coming through there at the moment, there's some real talent there, isn't there? You know, they're already playing in that first team squad. They've got a fantastic academy, reserve team, you name it there. The conveyor belt that comes through at St. Helens is, you know, it's one of the probably one of the best in rugby league. It is. And obviously, you know, Swinton Lions are a development team. They'll want to pick the talent from these teams, give them, give, give them experience, and hopefully that will take Swinton to that next level. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And it's, it's a tough league at the moment, that, that championship. We've seen that. I mean, I caught a bit of the highlights of York against Lee in the Cup, and they gave a great account of themselves in that game and were leading at half time. So there's some tough sides in that league. And Swindon are doing it tough at the moment. It was a heavy defeat at home to Batley at the weekend. And um, yeah, I didn't really see that coming. I thought Swindon would have. Would have would have pushed back all the way, but obviously they didn't. So, you know, they're struggling at the moment. They're going through a bit of a tough patch in the, in the league. And, uh, you know, perhaps perhaps that's what's needed sometimes, you know, some players to come in and, and, and give you that boost. 
I suppose sort of Swinton Lions are in a division where the top of the table are set like virtual professional and, and towards the bottom aren't. So it's finding that sort of way of, of competing with the very top um, at, in a in a, an environment that isn't a fully professional outlet outfit. Yeah, I think it was always the Super League for me that had a massive goal from top to bottom, but I think that's levelled out now. I mean, this season you've got Wakefield, obviously, you've really struggled, but the rest of the teams, there's not a lot between them, really. I mean, if you look at where Salford are, they're only two points behind you know, the, the, the top sides, and then the rest of the teams, there's only a couple of points between them, so it's a real battle for the, for the top six, and you know everybody's involved in that, really, barring sort of Wakefield and Castleford at the moment. But if you go down to the Championship, where I think that's been... More or less a pretty close division that over the decades, but last few years you've had Featherstone up there and Toulouse, and and they're the two sort of standout teams at the moment. We've got Sheffield who sneak through there as well now, but if you look towards the bottom of the table, there is a bit of a gulf there, isn't there? You know, Newcastle Thunder have struggled, Whitehaven have struggled, and they've picked up a couple of good wins recently, so they seem to be turning the corner. So. So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult league to play in. It's difficult for Swinton in that league. We mention that every week, don't we? They've got to keep fighting. They're in there now. That's where they want to be. And uh, I'm sure they'll want to survive this season. What they don't want to do is go back down to League One. You don't want to be that yo-yo team, do you? So, they've got a lot of uh, hard work to do throughout the summer. Yeah, I think it's difficult, obviously, with the IMG uh, coming in for the likes of sort of Swinton and, and Rochdale and, and teams who are in that division to find a way of sort of gaming the system to reach that next level because lots of uh, things off the field are dependent on what division you should, you'll be in next season. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, these, these clubs are probably going to struggle with this, this IMG thing, but uh, they're not on their own. There's a, there's a lot of clubs that are going to be in that sort of boat. There's a lot of clubs in rugby that don't have the finances, that don't have the backing, that don't get the, the huge crowds as well. I mean, you look in that championship there, I mean, Featherstone's crowd's probably just pushing on, on 3,000. So, you know, they're, are they going to be good enough for Super League? That You know, if they do come up this season, I don't know. Is a big gulf that coming up from, from the championship to, to Super League. And, you know, a lot of those sides who might be doing well in there at the moment, I think they'd really struggle in Super League. You know, you look at Wakefield, they'd probably want that championship if they were in there. And they've been really poor this season in Super League. So, some of the other clubs, yeah, they've just got to cut the cloth, haven't they, and, and do the best. I mean, you know, it's, it's diff- it is difficult. You look at that League One, there's some sides in there who, who I don't know how they get by on the budgets that they've got on, but they've got some fantastic people who work there, a lot, probably a lot of people on voluntary sort of things as well. And, uh, yeah, it'd be very, very interesting to see how this IMG thing pans out at, at the lower levels because, uh, you know, it, it's tough for these clubs when they've not got, uh, you know, a wash with money. Yeah, it's not just rugby league, rugby union. There's, I think it's three or four uh, top teams who have, have gone into sort of bankruptcy liquidation and, and it does professional sport and rugby hurt itself by having these uh, teams generating millions of pounds but not being able to fund themselves yeah I think in rugby union it's it's been funny there because they do have a salary cap but it's absolutely massive compared mm. to rugby league and I think they've had they've been spending money that they've not got and I think that's what's happening to their clubs I mean there's probably a lot more money in rugby union there's a lot more backers in rugby union who've been, who've been sort of bankrolling these teams but I don't know have, have they been getting fed up with it have they been pulling out I don't know I'm not an expert on rugby union but I do know that they're, they're in trouble there's a lot of clubs in trouble there and uh, you know they don't get a huge crowds some of those 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 teams either so eventually the money runs out so 
I think they're struggling. I think their sport is struggling as well. They probably won't tell you that, uh, but uh, but I think it is. Yeah, I think three point six million is a salary cap for a rugby union team, and Super League is is it one point eight? Yeah. So it's this such of a difference between a rugby union contract and a, a rugby league contract. And if you're wanting to spend three and a half million quid on players, what can you imagine what the players are being paid? Um, it's exactly. it's astronomical. But they yeah. do want to exactly. fight off, you know, the French, and they want to fight off rugby league, and they want to fight off Australia as well to to try and sort of steal the players. And also, they say that if you go and play abroad, they can't play international. Rugby, so which is another factor, uh, but it is interesting to see what happens in in rugby union because that, like you said, the bubble's going to burst by the sound of it. Yeah, I think so. I think they're living on borrowed time, aren't they? There, and you know, it, you, you're spending that much money. You need to drink, generate, you know, to, to keep it going. You can't mm. keep spending sort of three point five million a year on on your salary cap and your wages and things like. That. You need that money coming back in. You need that income. So if you've not got that. That sugar daddy who's ploughing that money in, where's that money coming from? So, uh, so yeah, I think they're playing a very dangerous game of roulette and rugby. And I think they have been doing for years. And, uh, you know, there's some rugby league sides who, who, who've done that. You know, I think Bradford Bulls was one of them. You know, they were, were spending money that they didn't have and made a, an absolute town, town halls of it, really, didn't they? And ended up in, in the championship, ended up in League One, I think, at one stage as well. And there was a lot to be said. You know, we, we want teams to, to gamble and, you know, and and do well, but you know that salary cap was put there for a reason. But if you look at rugby league, I think for next season there's been changes to the salary cap, the marquee player. I think it's 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 changing to to give the the, the top sides a bit more bit more clout so they can they can sign more marquee players. But it is dangerous because you need to have that money there, and what you don't want is like so Wigan and St Helens to go and spend loads of money and end up going bust. I mean, wouldn't bother us as Salford supporters. But, <laughs> You know, we, it does bother you because you're thinking about the game as a whole. I don't want any rugby league team to, to to get into financial strife. You want the game to succeed, and it's a hot topic. You know, the salary cap and things like this. IMG, it's going to frame the future of the sport, really. And uh, you know, let's let's just hope it it goes in the right direction for us all. Yeah. Swinton Lions are away at Witness uh, this weekend. Salford are at home uh, to Wigan. Two big games for both our local clubs. Yeah, two tough games as well. Witness, you don't really know what you're going to get with Witness at the moment. They've been a bit up and down, haven't they? So uh, that could be a, could be an interesting game. Salford against Wigan should be an absolute cracker on Sunday. It's Armed Forces Day as well. I think the club are trying to break the record crowd out. That's what the talk has been on the on social media. I think that'd be great as well. The weather looks like it's going to be an absolute scorcher. Um, judging by the forecast for next Sunday, so I can't wait for that. It should be great, and and what better game to play against Wigan as well? You know, Wigan Warriors in town it should be fantastic. Yeah, entertainment going on at the AJ Bell for the Armed Forces Appreciation Day with uh, Family Fun Day, bands playing, hopefully an environment which will generate interest in Salford Red Devils and Rugby League. For the people of Salford who are listening to this show tonight, uh, what, what, how would you sell the day to them to convince them to come down to the Salford City Stadium on Sunday? Well, you could sell it a few ways, couldn't you, with the entertainment that they say? But I think the the rugby league, you know, should be fantastic. You've got, you know, Salford looking to bounce back there. They've been playing some great rugby. I mean, take that cup game out of the um, out of the window uh, the last weekend. It was we, we eight wins from nine matches, which is fantastic form, really. You know, for a club 
with Salford's budget, really, you know, and resources, I think it's been tremendous. So I'd sell it as a real David and Goliath clash, you know, Salford against Wigan. We've had some great clashes against them over the years and turned them over a few times and toppled them a few times. So I'd be promoting it like that. But you've got all the other entertainment that comes alongside that as well. Decent weather. I think it should be a fantastic day and real carnival atmosphere. Yeah, and obviously when Wigan, like you say, do come to town, it's a big crowd, it's a big game, lots of, you know, games among against Salford and, and uh, Wigan have always been bo- box office and with a minute to go, Paul, it's, it's something to look forward to, something to engage with, take your family with. Uh, there's talk about, like you say, inviting uh, armed forces pe- members down there uh, for a cheaper price and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll come down in big numbers and support the local rugby league club. Yeah, let's hope so. I don't think we've been at home for a few years, have we now? So uh, we do a win in that game. I think we've won five from 26 in the Super League, home to Wigan, something like our five from 25. So, um, yeah, we, we do need to, to get a result. And I think we need a response from last week as well. So it should be a, should be a cracker. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting. We 25 seconds to go, Paul. Um, hopefully a big crowd, a lot of entertainment. And we're at two points for Solve Red Devils. Yeah, let's hope. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a thrilling match. And uh, yeah, I think Salford will just edge it. Yeah. So big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Don't forget you can find us every Tuesday and Wednesday talking all things sport in Salford. Big thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on your Salford City Radio. Big thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. <laughs>